0: One of the hardest things about COVID-19 has been the restrictions of seeing people face-to-face, uh, the restrictions on travel and being able to meet up with loved ones. And that's true, isn't it, for those of us with family spread out across the UK, which I guess is most of us. It's true for those with family and friends living overseas. And the, um, the distance seems all the greater, doesn't it, if we know that our loved ones are going through a hard time. And we cannot travel to be with them or support them or just to be with them to find out how they're really getting on. Because while it's true that we're grateful, thankful for telephones and emails and WhatsApp and Zoom and Skype and so on, it's not the same as being with someone face to face. It's often only when we're with someone in person that we find out really how they're they're doing. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we saw how Paul was concerned as to how the Christians in Thessalonica were getting on. These were young believers. You remember that Paul and Silas and Timothy had to leave them in a hurry. These were infants in the Christian faith, and they're facing trials and persecution, suffering. Paul had wanted to come and see them again. We read of that in chapter 2, verse 18, but Satan had blocked his way. And Paul was also afraid that Satan might have been successful in tempting them to give up their newfound faith in Christ, chapter 3, verse 5. So when he could stand it no longer, he sent Timothy to find out how they were getting on. He sent Timothy for two reasons. Firstly, chapter 3, verse 5, to find out how they were getting on in their faith. But then also chapter 3, verse 2. To strengthen and encourage them in their faith, to buttress them in their faith. And uh, while Timothy was away, you can imagine Paul wondering what did Timothy find when he got there? What kind of situation uh, did Timothy come across in Thessalonica? Remember, there are no phone calls, no, me- no text messages, there's no status updates <laughs> in those days. But now. Now Timothy has arrived in Corinth to tell Paul how his beloved children in the faith are getting on. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land, says Proverbs 25, verse 25. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. And many of us are old enough to remember how You know, even before we we used phones so much internationally, you would wait for the airmail letters to come from family and friends from far away. It would take weeks, months before you would hear again from friends in the United States or Australia or Canada or Africa, wherever. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. And Timothy has come back from Thessalonica with cold water for Paul. Good news to refresh the anxious soul of Paul. And so we read... At verse 6, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged, we were comforted about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. Now we can breathe again. That's how one translation translates the beginning of verse 8. Now we can breathe again. We have been encouraged, we have been comforted about you because of your faith and love, because you're standing firm in the Lord. Our labours have not been in vain which was Paul's concern at the end of verse 5, chapter 3. Our labours have not been in vain. There's a couple of things we can notice from these verses we've just read. Firstly, notice again how strong the bonds are between Paul and these young Christians. The beginning of verse 8 gives us an insight into how deeply Paul's life was bound up with the lives of these brothers and sisters. Because Paul is saying in effect, if the news from you had been bad, part of me would have died. Part of me would have died. But the news is good, so now I live. And we've seen this before, but it's worth pointing out again, there is no professional detachment here. This pastoral bond, which is like a parental bond, isn't it? Remember Paul has looked on them like we were like a mother and a father to you, he says in chapter 2. This pastoral parental bond is real, it is deep, it is authentic, it is living. There is a hymn, isn't there, and we're, we're going to sing it at the end of our service. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship our spirit finds is like to that above, foreshadows that above as a taste of heaven, a foretaste of heaven. And as Christians, we are bound together with cords that cannot be broken, no matter how hard some of us try at times to break them. We do rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. So the bonds of fellowship are strong, between Paul and these young Christians. But then secondly, that same hymn, uh, that same hymn goes on to speak of the, the mutual nature, the two-way traffic of Christian fellowship. The hymn says in one of its verses, "We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. here in this part of 1st Thessalonians it's not so much mutual woes and burdens that Paul has in mind although Paul and the Thessalonians have shared and do share a mutual suffering in a mutual suffering for the Christian faith they do share that but here it is mutual encouragement and mutual love that Paul rejoices in do you see that at the end of verse 6 the mutual longing and the mutual affection. You have pleasant memories of us. You long to see us just as we long to see you. And do you see how Paul, who sent Timothy to encourage them, verse 2, is himself encouraged? Encouraged by Timothy bringing their news to him in verse 7. And that encouragement must have been particularly sweet for Paul to receive in the middle of all our distress and persecution. You see, Paul was persevering with the gospel ministry in the face of hardship and opposition. And in the heat, in the heat of his difficulties, he receives cold water, a bottle of refreshing cold water to comfort and encourage him. This is good news from a distant city. Now, it's it's a reminder, isn't it, this ministry of mutual encouragement. It's a reminder that just as Christian leaders are called to encourage and strengthen others in their faith, so leaders too need to be encouraged. It can be a a hard and a lonely road, and it often was for the Apostle Paul. But the ministry of encouragement is a mutual ministry. It's a two-way street with traffic flowing each way. Uh, We live here uh, on a two-way street but most of the traffic goes one way, most of the traffic heads into town and the traffic that comes out of town takes another street mostly either straight along the Caldothel Road or out the old Edinburgh Road and I think sometimes forget you can see people turning into Mayfield Road and I think you can see that they've forgotten it's a two-way street and they're kind of surprised when they see cars coming the other way. Well. Encouragement is meant to be a two-way street and certainly it's true that some pastors and ministers and leaders are better at it than others. I know I have a lot to learn to help me be a better encourager but I'm also grateful to God for all the encouragement I receive from you and other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And notice how Paul turns his encouragement The good news he's received and the joy it has brought him. Notice how he turns it into a prayer of thanksgiving. Isn't that the right thing to do? To turn good news and our joy into thanksgiving to God and rejoicing in God's presence. Look at verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have? It's literally all the joy we rejoice in. Before our God, because of you, in the presence of our God, because of you. And as I was saying to the children, or trying to say to the children, we need to learn, don't we, to develop an attitude of gratitude, a reflex of gratitude. And that is something we can learn to do by practicing. I'm not a tennis player. And uh, if you could see me, you would know that would be obvious. I'm not a tennis player, but tennis players learn to quicken their reflexes by constant practice, don't they? And sometimes there's a machine that shoots balls at them over the net, which they have to learn to hit back. But we too can sharpen our reflexes whenever the ball of good news comes to us over the net, to learn to hit it heavenwards in thanksgiving to God. When we receive good news, the ball comes to us over there, we hit it heavenwards in thanksgiving to God. And wh- why is that important? Well, I think there are different reasons why that is important, but one reason why that is important is that giving thanks to God is what prevents healthy encouragement from turning into an unhealthy flattery. You know, it would would have been so encouraging for the Thessalonians to receive this letter. Which Paul, in the original and the NEB, tries to bring this out in verse 6. That Paul seems to have written, as soon as Timothy arrived in Corinth, as soon as he heard the good news, he sat down to write the letter. But you see what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, he has turned the good news that he has heard from them, he has turned it into gratitude to God. And by telling the Thessalonians by telling them that he is rejoicing before God because of them keeps them and us focused on the God from whom all blessings flow. Thanksgiving to God for the encouragement that he received. But having said that of course Paul does thank God for them. And uh, you know, here in Scotland, and I think sometimes, uh, probably actually across the whole of the UK, it's, it's, it's perhaps a, a British thing, not just a Scottish thing. But here in Scotland, we are sometimes reluctant as Christians to encourage one another. We're scared that people might end up with big heads. And uh, it's as if we see a danger sign Uh, warning us about boggy ground ahead, you know, the boggy ground of flattery and pride. And so we take a hundred mile detour just in case. So what do we do? We end up giving people the most encouragement they have ever received when they are no longer around to receive it at their funeral service. Isn't that true? let's try and encourage one another before it comes to our funeral service. Let's recognize the grace of God at work in each other and giving thanks to God for each other and his work of grace in each other. Whenever the ball of good news come to us over the net and it's good news about others, whatever kind of good news I said, we should learn to hit it immediately heavenwards in thanksgiving to God. But in fact, it is good, isn't it, to hit everything heavenwards towards God in prayer, good or bad, whatever comes to us over the net, to learn to take everything to God in prayer. And that is something the Apostle Paul had learned to do. For Paul, prayer was as constant and as regular as breathing. Now, notice I didn't say as easy as breathing. Some of you know that breathing is not always easy and neither is praying. But there's no doubt that Paul had learned to take everything to God in prayer all the time. And that is why he is able to write things and say things like he does in verse 10. Night and day, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Night and day. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul was in a 24 hour prayer meeting all the time. But he had learned to see prayer as something as natural as breathing and as important as breathing. And I wonder how about you and how about me? Are we so aware of our dependence upon God? Our absolute dependence upon God for absolutely everything, absolutely all of the time, that we take everything to Him in prayer. And more than that, are we so aware that God is our loving Heavenly Father, that Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother? That we have the best of all relationships. The best of all loving relationships with the Sovereign of the Universe. That we instinctively turn to him in prayer. Just as naturally we turn to the person closest to us on earth. To share what is on our hearts and minds. Night and day. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. And supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul wanted to see them again. He wanted to see them literally to see their face. We pray that we may see your face. That's what it says in the original. And that's what many of us have been longing for, isn't it? During COVID-19, face-to-face fellowship. John Stott says this, commenting on this passage, he says, prayer was vital. And letters too can encourage and establish people in their faith. But there is no substitute for the stimulus of face-to-face fellowship when we are mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Prayer was vital. Letters too can be helpful in encouragement. But there is no substitute for face-to-face fellowship when we are mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And their thought is quoting from Romans 1 verse 12. For Paul, again, writing to another church, says, I long to come and see you that I may impart some gift to you, actually that we may encourage one another and be mutually encouraged by each other's faith through face-to-face fellowship. Now, it would be some time, as far as we know from the biblical record, it would be some years before actually Paul saw them again, possibly even five years But that was his prayer. Now just as we come to the end of this passage, notice that the ministry of mutual encouragement, the ministry of mutual encouragement didn't stop Paul from recognizing that the Christians in Thessalonica had gaps in their faith. They had gaps in their belief as Christians. They had gaps in their behavior as Christians. And that will become clear later in the letter. Oh yes, there was mutual fellowship, there was mutual love and longing to see each other, there was mutual encouragement, but Paul was still their parent in the faith, he was still their teacher as well as their brother. And he longs to see them again so that he may supply, and that word supply is used in the Gospels of the fishermen mending their nets. He longs to see them again so that he can mend the holes, make up the the gaps in the net of their Christian knowledge and their Christian living. He wants to mend the holes in their faith. And he will begin mending those holes just in the rest of this letter. But even though Paul recognises that there are gaps in their faith, both in their doctrine and in their practice, both in their belief and their behaviour, do you see how Paul has emphasised the positive about the Thessalonians' faith? before turning to what is lacking and needs to be supplied. He started off this whole letter with thanksgiving, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. And even in this short section that we've read today, as David Williams has noted, one of the commentators, he has been giving thanks for what has been achieved before mentioning what remains to be done. He has given thanks. How can we thank God enough for you? You've, you've, you've given me good news about your faith and love. Timothy has brought good news about your faith and love. He is, he is giving thanks for what has been achieved before turning to what remains to be done. Isn't isn't there pastoral wisdom? Isn't there a very practical wisdom here? For any of us in any kind of position of leadership or influence? In fact there is wisdom here for all of us, isn't there? To give thanks for what has been achieved before mentioning what remains to be done. The good parent and the good teacher will say well done to the child for what they have achieved however imperfect it might be before going on to address those imperfections. You know, when I was a a medical student back in Dundee, in the 1980s, um, we had a a, a surgeon, there was a consultant surgeon there. I'm afraid I don't know whether he's still alive or not, but as it happens, he was a Christian man, uh, which I I don't think is a coincidence. He was a Christian man. I'll, I'll name him Mr. Priest. Paul Priest was his name and students love to be in his tutorials and to have teaching from him because he was such an encourager. You know even if you said something that was completely wacky let's say for example we were talking about the causes of jaundice you know that condition where your skin goes yellow uh, because of products of bile in the bloodstream and you say you know uh, what are some of the causes of jaundice and uh, you know you go around uh, the medical students and uh, then someone might say, or I might say, something that was completely wrong. Uh, eating too much, eating too many croissants, let's say some of that. And it, Mr. Priest would always go, yes, 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 I see, I can see, I can see, I can see where you're comforting, but no. <laughs> and uh, But people loved to be in his classes. And that was such a contrast to what Much of the teaching was like, I hope, I think things have changed for the better today, but often in those days, medical students were taught by shame and humiliation and by fear in front of patients often. But there was a better way rather than always pointing out our ignorance and what we needed to learn. After all, we were there to be taught to encourage by giving thanks for what had already been achieved before addressing what needed to be done. And in closing, is that not how our loving Heavenly Father treats each of us who are his children? With infinite love, with tender mercy, and with patient kindness. It is how the Lord Jesus Christ treats his disciples and his followers. We who are often foolish, often stumbling, often mistaken, often sinful. And yet Jesus gives thanks to God the Father For us. Did you ever think of that? That Jesus gives thanks to God the Father for us? Well, He does. For you and for me. On one occasion, Jesus sent out 72 of His followers on a mission to spread the good news of the kingdom of God, and they came back full of joy and excitement at what they had seen happening in Jesus' name. Had they not made any mistakes, Did they never say the wrong things at the wrong time? Had they not more to learn? Of course they had more to learn. But what we read in Luke chapter 10 verse 21 is that at that time Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit said I praise you Father Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes Father for this is what you were pleased to do. Do you see? the Son of God, thanking his Father God for the joy that he has through the Spirit of God for what his Father has done for the children of God. How can we thank God enough in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Jesus welcoming his disciples back after their mission. I praise you, Father, you have revealed these to these children. The Son of God thanking his Father, God, for the joy he has through the Spirit of God because of what his Father has done for and through the children of God. Well, may the kindness and joy of the Lord help us to encourage each other in our faith until the day we see him face to face and hear him say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the times when we have received good news from a distant land and it has refreshed us like a cup of cold water on a hot day. We thank you, Father, for the encouragement that Paul received from the Christians in Thessalonica that they, by your grace, Father, they had stood firm in their faith and they were standing firm. And we thank you for the joy had in your presence because of them. Help us learn, Father, how to be better encouragers of each other but also to, uh, to turn good news instinctively and uh, to thanksgiving to you and help us, Father, to learn how to encourage each other by uh, by what has been already achieved before we turn to what remains to be done. For you are such a, a kind and gracious God. You treat us and you, you love us and you bear with us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. <music>